Hi, I'm Kathleen Gallagher. Kathleen is the executive director of the Milwaukee Institute, and I'm Tim Keen. Tim is founder and director of Golden Angel Investors, and this is How Did You Do That? A show about successful entrepreneurs and how and why they succeeded. I was 33 when the company went public. I had never done anything like that in my life, and I learned so much from that experience of having to just tell the story the right way, get people excited, but still be realistic, uh, and just make sure anything you put on paper and anything you communicated was always super accurate. Mike Harris was a middle-class kid from Racine with no family history of entrepreneurship. He played it safe at UW Parkside by studying accounting and then got a job as an auditor with Ernst & Young and became a CPA. Mike's appetite for risk grew, however, when he got a job at Windpoint Partners, the venture capital fund led at the time by the Johnson Wax family. After experiencing the exhilaration of taking a portfolio company all the way to an initial public offering as its chief financial officer, Mike founded Jefferson Wells, a professional staffing company that provided internal audit, accounting, technology risk, and tax services on demand. Jefferson Wells grew organically to $132 million in sales and 1,600 employees. In 2001, five years after Mike started it, Jefferson Wells was acquired by Manpower for $174 million. Mike went on to start five more companies, including two he's still involved with, Patina Solutions as CEO and the Novo Group as chairman. Mike, welcome to How Did You Do That? Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, Mike, since your mid-30s, you've started six companies, one with a pretty big exit. But you didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. Tell us how you got interested in that. Well, it was... Uh... Uh, sort of an inter interesting story. Um, I went to uh, work as the financial officer. I always like to tease it was like a bookkeeper role. Uh, but I went to Winpoint Partners, which you mentioned, and they were at the time a very true venture capital firm. I mean, they would you know back people that had ideas and just were getting things started. And on uh, Monday afternoons, the partners would invite somebody that had a business plan that wanted funding. There'd be one or a team of people that would come in, make their pitch. And I used to just ask if I could go to those meetings. I wasn't a partner, but I really enjoyed the process. And I got to see so many different entrepreneurs. You know, some were prepared, some were not. I saw some were super cocky, others were too humble. And I watched as they asked questions and grilled folks. And then obviously I was involved once they started to do their homework and make the investment. So that was really the first time I had ever seen anything entrepreneurial really in my life. And so I got to, to see uh, lots of different entrepreneurs uh, come in and pitch their ideas, and that was really very uh, formative for me as I started thinking about, you know, someday doing that myself. I learned how you would uh, get prepared and best present and which uh, people got funded and which ones didn't. So despite the um, messiness of some of the presentations, you agreed to take on the extra duty of part-time CFO for a built-from-scratch portfolio company of Winpoints called Alternative Resources. Tell us how your experience there shaped you as an entrepreneur. Yeah, if I think back to all the different uh, decisions you make in your life, that one really was potentially the most impactful uh, because I got to go to a company that was just getting started and you know, from the details I did understand, which is setting up the accounting systems and all the other things you need to get a company going, uh, and then starting to see it take uh, take flight. 
Um, I got uh, myself involved in a lot of the sales and marketing stuff that was happening in the company. I wasn't invited to those meetings. I invited myself, you know, and I had a boss as CEO that was very open to me uh, learning and participating in a lot of things that a normal CFO did not. So uh, that that experience, I mean, we started that company and then we started to grow so quickly that um, I just saw how you start to open offices, how you build a national sales force, how the economics of this whole staffing industry worked, and how you govern growth and manage it and stay out of its way. And so that that was such a fantastic experience for me uh, that that uh, you know that that really gave me the confidence candidly to then do the other things that I did after ARC. So it didn't hurt that ARC um, had a pretty successful run. I think it was really important when I was ready to do something on my own. I literally made one phone call and, and we got funded. So tell us about ARC's success. Yeah, it was it was really something. So we started it off with uh, one gentleman, Larry Kane, who was the CEO, the founder, and Winpoint backed Larry with five hundred thousand dollars, small amount of money, and uh, we opened an office in Detroit. That was the first city that Larry could go to. He had a non-compete in Chicago. And it basically, it was a business that was a little bit ahead of its time. It did IT staffing, uh, temporary staffing, and, you know, that, that now obviously is very common, but at that time, it was not. And so we started that uh, business and then quickly started to grow it, and uh, we took it to several hundred million in revenue. And one of the greatest things for me was that we decided to go public. You know, when the venture guys come in a deal, they want to get out, and they want to make a lot of money when they do. And so we were just such a fast-growing company that – an IPO at that time, there were a lot of them, and we were the second best performing IPO in the whole country that year, 1994. So I was 33 when the company went public. I had never done anything like that in my life, and I learned so much from that experience of having to just tell the story the right way, get people excited, but still be realistic, uh, and just make sure anything you put on paper and anything you communicated was always super accurate. So how did you go from ARC to Jefferson Wells, Mike? Yeah, that was a, a big decision. It, it seemed maybe at the time a little bit risky because ARC was on top of the world. And I thought that's probably the perfect time to think about leaving. Uh, you know, we had just uh, gone public a year before that. Then we had a follow-on offering. So now Winpoint Partners was out. They made a fortune on the deal. And I had that by that point been put on the board of directors, which was great. We were a public company, and I was sort of one of the faces to Wall Street for the company. I was 35, and I just felt like I couldn't, uh, you know, let the great experience and all this knowledge I learned as a young guy go to waste. And I said, you know, what am I? I'm an accountant. I'm a finance guy. I'm an audit guy. And I really wanted to see if I could create a culture that was sort of led by me. It was my style and sort of my imprint. I was always Larry's um, right-hand man, but I wasn't the man. And so I really wanted to see. I believed that I could take what I learned, apply it into my world of accounting and finance. And I, I saw what Larry did great, and I wanted to keep doing more of that. And I saw what Larry didn't do so well, and I thought, I can, I can do this. If Larry could do it, and I was right there to watch it, I, I thought I could do it as well. So... Um, it, it may seem like why leave a company at its high point like that, but, uh, you know, and I started uh, Jefferson Wells, put some of my own money in, got an office with like 2,800 square feet. It was just me, didn't have funding, didn't have a single employee, no clients, but I uh, just had a lot of confidence that we'd be able to build something of value. How hard was it to get your first customer? Well, you know, I, I've, in all the companies I've ever started, 
uh, I never had a customer when we started the company. So I did understand, obviously, how we would go about starting to acquire customers. I saw it at ARC when we built the sales force. These were dedicated salespeople going out to meet leaders, getting to know them, building relationships. And if you do that and you stick to it and you have enough capital to be able to hire these folks that are you know, good, strong acumen, they're professional folks, it takes them a while to get going. So that's why you need the capital to do it. Um, so I wasn't terribly worried that I didn't start with a customer. I, I had a sales model that I knew would be productive. It's just how long will it take? So how how did that get funded? Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. So I, I put a little bit of money in just to, you know, I always tease just to get the logo done and, you know, get a couple of desks delivered. But I uh, I printed the business cards, you know, I did all that. But uh, when I was uh, ready to consider leaving ARC, I called one of the former board members who was in venture capital. Now he had moved on to a different firm from Winpoint. So I called up uh, him. His name was Bob Blank. And he said, hey, what do you, what's up? And I said, I'm uh, thinking about doing something different. He said, meet me in uh, Libertyville or wherever we met. We had a beer. And he said, I like what you're doing. We're in. I was like, what? You know, so it was, it was relatively painless because here was a guy that was a sort of an investor in the very early days of ARC, saw how successful we were, and then him and I knew each other and worked together. So I had to go down to Chicago, meet with the whole team. Uh, but, you know, I went in there pretty confident that these guys would uh, support it. They co uh, committed $3 million of venture capital, gave me a million, and said as long as you're at X amount of, you know, revenue at the end of the first year, we'll give you the rest of it. So um, I was I was lucky enough to have that great experience at ARC, and that certainly was made it a lot easier. Um, it, you know, a few people have asked, why didn't you shop it around? And I said, pretty nice if you make a phone call and they want to back you. And it seemed to me to be a fair deal for me. And uh, off we went. So meet me in Libertyville is maybe your secret. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an old movie or something. Meet me in Libertyville. So, Mike, we often ask people about the rest of their lives and how this affected them. How did your family do with all of this startup stuff? Yeah, it was, uh, I'm fortunate to have a terrific wife, Peggy, who was always supportive of me whenever I was thinking about doing something different, taking a risk. Um, we, she had a great attitude. She said, you know what, you're a hard worker, you know, and you're an accountant, there's a million jobs in accounting. And if you try something, it doesn't work out. She was confident that I'd be able to just go get a job the next day. I said I was teased if even if I had to go do tax returns, which I really don't like doing. But I felt very confident that taking a risk to me showed initiative and guts and some of that other kinds of stuff. So I felt like even if something didn't work out, you know, I'd be able to find uh, something to do that paid the bills and all that. And she was just always supportive. We were raising our kids uh, and she was more focused on that. Uh, letting me sort of, you know, do what I felt like I needed to do. And, of course, my parents thought I was nuts, but uh, they always liked how everything turned out. But they were like, are you sure you want to leave that ARC and start your own company? Uh, but, you know, they, they were generally supportive. But my wife was really my biggest supporter. So Jeff Jefferson Wells must be one of the most successful startups from an investor perspective in recent Wisconsin history, a, 70, uh, a $174 million exit in just five years. How do you top that? Well, that was a great outcome. You, you know, we just we just had some magic there. It was the right time for the business model. We had the right level of funding. We had the guys from Princeton Partners first and then Baird from uh, Milwaukee. The Baird guys came in. And so we raised enough capital to do it right. We, you know, sort of hit a great time. The economy was good that whole five years. 
And, uh, you know, for a company that started with nothing to be able to sell it for that amount of money in cash, by the way, Manpower bought us for cash, that uh, I just think it was a terrific return. I guess I'm an optimistic person. And while patina has taken us longer, and I know we'll talk about that in a little bit, I always like to still think I can top it, <laughs> although it's, it's going to be hard. So tell us about Patina. I, mean, I know that's your most recent startup. Uh, what's that about? Yeah, so we started Patina about 10 years ago. We had great timing, you know, right right as the recession was starting to kick in. Here we are starting this consulting firm uh, from scratch. But the whole concept of Patina, we were working on it in the summer of 2008. Fairly easy concept to understand. Lots of people with, you know, 25 years or more of experience. They've been CFOs. They've been HR directors. They've run supply chain for, you know, good-sized companies. And there's just so many more people. You know, it's more than just the baby boomers. But to keep it simple, there's all these boomers. Uh, they all want to keep working. They, they, some of them need to keep on working. But they all, you know, a lot of them want a little more flexibility in their life and in their work uh, schedule. So we started a company that would uh, attempt to attract and then organize and then deploy these highly experienced executives out to help clients, big, medium, and small companies with projects or coming in to be an interim CFO. And now we've even expanded it to do sort of coaching and mentoring based on the experience a lot of these people have. So at a high level, that's sort of what the patina model is all about. You've got a great uh, name that goes with it. You call it Patina Nation? Yeah, we have Patina Nation is what we call all these talented folks that have signed up, 23,000 of them. And uh, my goal is to have a million because we've now started to do a lot of work with uh, Patina Nation as a community. You know, when we started this thing 10 years ago, there weren't a lot of communities. LinkedIn wasn't even really going. Uh, but all of a sudden, we have these 23,000 executives. And, you know, a lot of these people are out there also trying to find their own work. They're independent consultants, and it's hard because it's hard to stand out in the world. Um, so they're all in this Patina Nation, and now we're starting to look at it as a community and offering them webinars and services, let's say like an IT help desk. If you're out there on your own as a CFO and your computer breaks, it's not the easiest thing to get fixed. You probably used to have an IT department to call. Uh, but so we're really excited about the building of this this sort of a national community of these uh, highly experienced executives. Patina's raised about $10 million over the last 10 years. It has 65 employees and about $35 million of revenue. How much bigger do you think it can get? Well, I'm excited about the potential. So when I look at the, the, the model, we're really today in eight cities in America, and we have about 20 managing directors. So what is a managing director? That's our salespeople. And we need those folks because we don't sell this online. We go out. We meet the leadership of companies. We get to know them. We try to build trust uh, and confidence there. We ask a lot of questions about what's happening in their business. And when they spend the kind of money and put us uh, on the team to help with the complexity of the things we do, they want to know us. And so that model, you know, it's very driven and it's not cheap, you know, to put these folks out on the street. We've got 20 of them. When I do just a back-of-the-envelope analysis, we can have 150 of these managing directors between uh, the U.S. and Canada. So when I look at going from 20 all the way up to 150, and then we're in eight cities. I think we can be in probably 30 cities. It, you know, if you just run out the math, it's at least a two or three hundred million dollar business once we're really at full speed. So that's the tangible. You know, in terms of the intangible, you've got really strong opinions about micromanaging employees and how it can suppress growth. Can you talk about that a little? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, what I what I saw, especially at Jefferson Wells, because even as good as ARC was, Jefferson Wells' growth was even faster. And I, I, you know, I'm an accountant by training. I'm, you know, sort of what what does you know an accountant do? We like to control and manage and comply. And all of a sudden, now I'm the C- CEO, and I had to find a balance between still making sure the company had good controls and was a well-run organization, but then also taking risks, letting people try something new, uh, don't get in the way of it. Uh, and so like one of my favorite examples from Jefferson Wells is one of my guys in Detroit was pitching a huge deal to General Motors. And, you know, you get wind of it through the grapevine. We got a big one. And uh, I never even saw the proposal. I didn't jump into it. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to understand how are we pricing it? How big could this thing get? How many hours are involved? Uh, but I just said, no, nope, let the team do it. I've got a leadership team and just I trust them. They're awesome. Stay out of the way. And so uh, they ended up winning that deal. It was a massive deal, $10 million deal for us, which was huge. And uh, I really felt good about that. I said that was a great lesson. And just stay out of the way. If you're hiring the right people, you shouldn't have to sit and micromanage them. And then that's not your job anyway as a CEO. Even my boss at ARC, Larry, who I learned a lot from, he was a little bit more of a micromanager. Uh, but he had to get out of the way because you just can't grow like that if you're trying to s- stay on top of everything as one person. Mike, uh, quickly run us through the other startups that you've done. Yeah, the most uh, most of the companies I've started have been in the same realm of sort of professional services. So, you know, got got that uh, great experience at ARC as the CFO, wasn't the founder, but was sort of the right-hand man. And then really Jefferson Wells was clearly in that realm of professional services coming in and helping companies sort of on demand. And then in 2001, after we sold the company, I was 40 years old when we sold Jefferson Wells. And I, you know, I don't think I'll ever retire, but I certainly wasn't going to retire at the age of 40. <laughs> Actually, the, the first day after the company was sold, I was sitting in my house in Racine and I said to my wife, she took the kids to school, they were little, and she said, I said, hey, I'm going to go to Barnes & Noble back when people did that, and I'm going to just go out there and have some coffee and just hang out. Oh, okay. I said, you want to go with? Sure, I'll go with you. So we get out there, and it's great that first morning. It's like, God, this is such a relief. I got no work to do. And uh, so it was great. Got home at 10 o'clock or whatever. And then the next day, I said the same thing. And she said, you need to get a job. I said, we just sold the company. And she goes, I know, but you can't, you can't work here. You know, I got a house to run and the kids. And uh, so I, I just realized I, I love the challenge of starting a business and organizing the money and getting the people to come and join you in a new enterprise that's not for everybody. Um, so I, I did a couple of uh, companies that year 2001, unfortunately, was right before 9-11 that sort of put a, a damper on things for a while. But I started a business called Capital H. It was an HR consulting, it's kind of an HR version of Jefferson Wells. Um, and we got that started. We stumbled a little bit after the 9-11 sort of slowdown. And, uh, and then we ended up uh, selling that business to actually a friend of mine in Chicago. He did well with it, built it up, and, and then that thing actually went under when the Great Recession kicked in. Uh, but at that same time, um, I also started a business uh, called Silver Train. And Silver Train worked on IT consulting and sort of complex IT projects. And 
we made it pretty long. We made it again to the Great Recession, and then that got bought by somebody, and it's changed its name and is still operating. So, And then um, in 2003, I started the Novo Group, which is a, a Milwaukee-based recruiting company, still going. I'm the chairman of that. I also started Adams Harris a couple years later, and candidly, that was sort of a knockoff of Jefferson Wells with one of my guys from Jefferson Wells. Um, so I think that's a quick run through of all the different companies I did. Mike, I think you're probably our first um, accountant turned entrepreneur. It was really a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. You can read more about this story and find links to resources by visiting wuwm.com. And listen to all our podcasts at WUWM at the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts.